Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Joey Calvez. I want to tell you guys a little bit about the Department of Metahuman Affairs. This one is a story about a team led by a retired sidekick, two felons, a failed actor from Broadway, and a reprogrammed cyborg. But their first mission is to stop the criminals who have robbed a bank, and they will have to set the world at ease. You're going to get 180 pages of entertainment action-packed awesomeness right here in the first six issues in a collected hardcover volume one all you got to do is head on over to kickstarter.com and type in the department of metahuman affairs or dma and check it out right now age of radio this podcast is proudly brought to you by Inked Marketing, and the Inked Marketing crowdfunded comic of this yeah, show belongs to Swords and Solace. Join the nearly 150 followers and be ready for it to go live. That's right. Yep, still time. Still plenty of time, but not too much time. Swords and Solace is the third and final entry in the Swords and Sorrows trilogy. Rat, an assassin who wishes to earn his freedom from his oppressive guild becomes a legend as he roams the land cutting down every killer who dares step in his path sounds so metal man in the conclusion to the tr trilogy uh-oh rat learns that true peace isn't just something he needs to achieve himself but it's something that must be taught to the next generation uh, so this is on Kickstarter. This is a Kickstarter crowdfunder comic. Just go to kickstarter.com and search Voyage colon The Call. And uh, don't miss out, man. Don't miss out. Once again, proudly brought to you by Inked Marketing. Now, if you don't know what Inked Marketing is and you're a uh, independent creator that has a book coming out, then I have the solution to an easier campaign for you. Go on to Facebook. That old people thing, do it, I promise. It's worth it. Go on to Facebook and just search, search Inked Marketing on there. You're going to see a dope-ass blue octopus. And when you do, um, you're going to get hooked up with a man named Kevin, and he is going to treat you like solid gold. That's what's going to happen. He's going to treat you like solid gold. And then you tell them that uh, Cheers to Comics sent you. And then, wouldn't you know it, sponsors give a kickback. Ah! That's crazy how that works. So, um, uh, there you go. Inked Marketing and above all else. On Kickstarter, search Voyage colon The Call today. Pre-roll. Well, hello again. Welcome back to the Cheers to Comics podcast. I'm your host, Brian Wayne, and this is episode 278. The 278th episode of the Cheers to Comics podcast will, in fact, be a creator corner. The creator that I cornered on this here episode is none other than the, the legend himself, Justin Gray. You may recognize Justin Gray from his work on She... Back in the day, you know, remember she? Well, she's coming back. We're going to talk all about that. But most importantly, we're going to talk about Stoker and Wells, his uh, his old, uh, old, his own indie comic that he's producing 
all on it, well not all on his lonesome, with the help of another creative team of course, but this one, this one's all Justin Gray. So I very much look forward to you listening to this episode. I had a blast talking with Justin, as always. Um, 99.7% of the time I have a blast talking to these creators, but it's again, Justin's just a special guy. It's a man that's been in the industry for a minute. He's got tons of stories and um yeah without further ado i bring to you the amazing justin gray all right justin gray how are you sir i am well sir how are you i'm excellent i am i am absolutely excellent i'm so happy to be talking to a uh, creator of your magnitude you've you've had uh, quite the career in comics you've uh, written for just about everyone, and now you have your own little Kickstarter that we're gonna talk about here. But uh, we're gonna get to all that soon, man. I'm I'm so happy to have you on. I'm happy to be here, definitely. Thank you. Um, now with uh, like I said, someone that's you know had the uh, imprint on the industry that you have, I I I I can't imagine the uh, the origin story. Like all great creators and heroes, there's there's always a great origin story. So I I gotta ask the uh, the the lame question, but an important question: When did comics really become a uh, a, a thing in your life? Were you a young reader or find it late? Um, no, it's not. It's not a lame question at all. I um, started really young. I I I. I at the fractured memory point of where I have been exposed to things and just basically the format of comics was the thing that stood out to me first. Um, because, uh, television was something that was cordoned off. Like you would, it's not like it is now where you can just do anything at any time. So it was like, you would have to watch what your parents wanted to watch, or you would have to, uh, wait for your time to do those things as a kid. But with comics, I could just go down to the store and buy some and it would be my time. It would be stuff that I loved. And it didn't it didn't require participation from people who were either adults. I mean, it was a kid thing. So it was kind of like, oh, I have this. And the adults don't care about that until, you know, I don't know how many years later when everyone loves it. But yeah, right. awesome, so it was man. a kid. It was a kid thing. Definitely. For sure. Do you uh, do you remember the stuff that you were first picking up off the racks? I mean, at first it was kind of like hand-me-down stuff, and I, I, I'm very hazy on it, and I think that's just me in general. I'm very hazy on timelines, which I think plays into a lot of the work that I do, where I kind of think like everything happens at once instead of everything being uh, sequential or, or uh, chronological. So I remember stuff like like the kids' comic, the Casper, the hot stuff, and then okay. Spider-Man and X-Men, and, and just kind of like flea market stuff and just finding things and being like no one wants this stuff but i think it's so bright and fun and and i always loved artwork uh i always appreciated the kind of work that everyone put into these comics no matter when it was and it just really spoke to me as a medium and it was it was something that was like all me like like i remember being told all the time why do you read those comics those that's just junk for your brain and you should read a real book and hmm. which I did read novels and all kinds of, uh, you know, memoirs and everything else. But I always loved the sort of playfulness and the, and the unlimited possibilities that you would get when you were reading a comic. That's awesome, man. And I, I love that as a writer now that you, it was originally the art that drew you to it, the bright, vivid colors and all of that. And that's something I could personally relate to myself. 
you know i've I, that's that's what drew me into it where all the, the you know the amazing line work you know the jim lees and all of that stuff the the, the yeah. stuff that was happening and uh yeah no i I loved it, and in the in the long run, it's the uh, it's the story that I end up appreciating the most. <laughs> you know, it's uh, it is, and just like you said, it's so much more than just junk for your brain, man. A, a comic can, uh, oh, it's 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 a magical thing. I, I I can't even begin to speak on the wonders that a comic can uh, provide. Yeah, and when you when you find your tribe, when you find your people who are like, you know, we like the same things, even when you don't like the same things, but you're all in tune with the sort of the aesthetic of it and the, and the craft of it and what it gives to you, regardless of what what you like. If you like superheroes, you like horror, you like sci-fi. It's all within the same medium that, for a long time, wasn't as mainstream as it is now. And you know, it, it was very magical to go through that stage where we had our own thing, and that, that's something that I always try and come back to when I'm doing stuff now. I'm like, like, can we just make it about about us, like about people who just want to enjoy the medium? That, that, that's awesome man were you lucky enough to have uh, uh other kids around to actually share with in this because i mean there's no social media or anything like that to where you can express your your love for comics so did you have an inner circle i had a very i had one friend um who i still talk to today who lived up the street from me and his mom was working at heroes world and oh, i would beg her to pick up the comics and I would like ride my bike. I would make, I would make paperboy money. I would do whatever I had to do, sh- snow shoveling or raking leaves, whatever I could do to make money. So then I would give her the money and be like, can you please pick up the comics? And you know, sometimes she did and sometimes she didn't. And it was kind of like in, the, in, in his basement, I don't remember who it was. Maybe it was his older brother, but he had long boxes all in the basement, all these classic DC things because uh, they were big DC. I was big Marvel. And I can't even imagine what kind of treasures were down there now when I look back at it. Mm. But and, and he was the only one who kind of got the comic thing. And like I would pull friends in and, you know, it would ultimately be that they didn't really know what it was about. So I'd ultimately be made a fun of for trying to I'm, I'm Nightcrawler, you're Wolverine, let's do this thing. And they'd be mm-hmm. like, oh, we'll play with this for five seconds and then you're a nerd. So whatever. Um, um, but I don't regret any of that. I think that I think that I looking back on it, I'm like, I, you know, look at everyone now. Like everyone's looking at stuff that is, you know, stuff that I was doing at the same time, and they didn't want anything to do with it. But now everybody loves it. So, oh yeah, good for everyone. Yeah, no, it, the, the the way that I mean, it, it really goes without saying what how comics have turned around and and you know just pop culture. It went from you know being taboo and nerdy to you know the probably the most lucrative thing on the planet right now for sure for sure it makes them so much money i mean it makes everybody so much money uh toy companies uh, obviously the movies i mean it's just uh, it's insane i mean in the 90s no one would have thought that you know it'd be like this imagine you know in the 70s when they're creating these things so it just really goes to show the the love you know they never expected anything out of this they were just making doodle books but now i mean it it, it can make somebody a fucking millionaire it's insane Uh, so (laughs) oh i i love it and it make dreams come true as well because you know uh back then they were creating the original characters now you know the, the 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 new creators they can go through and 
essentially take what they've loved and then, you know, say, well, I would do it this way. And then, you know, we got all these new adaptations and everything. So it's, it's, ah, what what a great time to be a creator now to have all of this new stuff to play with. And, and just to be people enjoying it, like to see people, you know, I always talk to my comic friends and they're like, well, get your friends together and do this. I'm like, most of my friends don't, they're, they're fans of the movies. Like it's new to them and they're all excited about it. Like, what is this? And I'm like, just enjoy it. Just like, just go out there and enjoy it. And, and that's what it is for them. So it's just the latest offering of entertainment. Um, but there was definitely a time period where everyone was kind of like, especially with things like X-Men and Spider-Man, where it was very personal and very much in the moment you were that person and we were that character. And now it's just sort of played out. And, and I, I remember saying, to a bunch of my friends, I'm like, the Black Panther movie is going to be huge because it's something that, that has been needed for so long. But you look back and it started in 19, I think it was 70 was the first issue that they did. Mm. And, you know, I think all that stuff's important. I think we need the mythology. And as, as you know, as, as angry as I get sometimes about certain things, and as much as I hate the corporatization of all the stuff, I think it's great that everyone gets to experience that same sort of feeling um, that I had at a different time. Absolutely. And I, I like that you, you, you worded it like that too. Just, just because, you know, so, uh, somebody has already experienced that feeling that doesn't, uh, that shouldn't take away from somebody else down the road in the future, also getting to experience that feeling. And that's, that's what I, I, I love about all of these, these new uh, hot takes or new takes on all of these beloved characters and what we're seeing now. It's, uh, once again, it, it's just a great time to be into comics. It doesn't matter what, sure. what form you're in. Um, For sure. Uh, so, I mean, at what point did you realize you wanted to start writing? When I realized I could not draw everything I saw <laughs> in my head. Says every um, great writer. Very, <laughs> it, was a very, it was a very painful time. I really wanted to draw and I, I would draw it and I'd be like, I'm really excited about it for 10 minutes. And then I go back and look at it and I'm like, oh my God, so much shit just happened on that page. It's not good. <laughs> so I, I decided that I just like, I need to verbalize it more um, than to actually, my hands don't, my, the, the wiring from the brain to the hand, there's something that happens in the middle that just doesn't, that doesn't connect. So. So I, I have to ask as uh, somebody that originally aspired to be an artist, um, having to direct an artist now was was that uh, how, how difficult was that for you? Uh, knowing, I mean, because a lot of writers, you know, the ones that never really aspire, they just say, I'm gonna write. They don't. That's because they have no artistic visual whatever. Um, you obviously have it. You just had a hard time uh, putting it down technically. Um, so, like I, you know, circling back, uh, how hard was it for you to actually direct another artist? Um, you know what, this is a, a, because I have worked with so many artists and this is a thing that comes up with me when I, when I work with people, I, I have worked with so many artists and I feel so blessed to have worked with all of them that it started out where I was this sort of, I was very literary. I was very much in writing, into writing novels and I was overwriting everything all the time and I was directing, directing, directing. And giving them sort of what I feel like now, because I've been doing it for a long period of time, was that I didn't appreciate it. It wasn't until I started working for corporations where I realized that there was this attitude of plug and play. 
And I immediately recognized you have to put the right people on the right projects and let them do their thing. So like if you love a, a certain artist and you know what they do and you love what they do, don't go in there and try and make them into someone else hmm. for two or three pages. Let them do their thing. And so I went from writing these massive, very dense, very directorial scripts to just saying, here's what happens. Just go crazy. And when they go crazy and, and, and we trust each other and everything works out that way. And a lot of that was probably from Jonah Hex with working so many different artists and just writing scripts and saying, I would love to see Eduardo Riso draw this. I would love to see J.H. Williams III write th uh, draw this. And I, I got to a point where I was like, Stan Lee and Jack Kirby were right. They were just like, here's the idea. Go do your magic. And then I'll come back in and I'll look at your magic and I'll get inspired by it. And then I'll do my thing over it. And that's really what it's been for me for the last um, four or five years. It went from being dense scripts to mellow scripts to letting editorial do things to just saying, there's a reason why I want to work with you because you do this. So go do that and we'll figure it out. That's awesome. 80% of the time it works out. Every once in a while, you're kind of like, what the hell did you draw here? But 80% <laughs> of the time, which is a really good average on just go do your thing. And I think artists appreciate that because I know I appreciated that as a writer when they weren't micromanaging every sentence and saying, wait, we have to you know, tie in every continuity. So that's kind of how that, the, the genesis or the, the evolution of that happened. I love it. I love it. Uh, you know, and that's, that's admirable too, allowing yourself to uh, evolve, to, you know, and transition into really just a, a smoother operation for the most part, I would imagine. You know, I mean, if anything, you, you're loosening the workload on yourself by letting more people just kind of take the reins. And that's, the, uh, I would only imagine what, what that enables you to do even further as a, as a creator. So that's, uh, that's awesome, man. Um, now, uh, well, let's, let's, let's talk about, you know, breaking into comics, you know, you, you started <clears throat> writing, you, you, you got the bug. Um, uh, at what point, you know, did you, did you have that, that, that first moment, uh, you know, that, that holy shit, this is my book in my hand. What was, what, tell us that story. Um, it was, it was it, like anything else. It's a long journey, especially when you have, I, there's this thing now where, where everyone says, well, there's people stopping you from being there and there's all these obstacles in front of you. And the reality is that regardless of what is going on culturally or what is going on business-wise, it's not easy. No one just rolls up and says, like, that, they make movies about that stuff and they're like, oh, they're so talented that they just walked to the front of the line. It doesn't really work like that. It's, it, it's a mythology that comes afterwards where you say, oh, someone just walked to the front of the line. But the reality is, is that you work really hard and you fail constantly over and over again. You get told that you are never going to make it and you're not good enough and you don't have what it takes. And from and, and obviously a lot when you start out, you get angry. You, you're, you're like, oh, you don't know what you're talking about. And sometimes they do and sometimes they don't. But the idea was that I just... I just wanted to do it, and so I would do it anyway. So regardless of if I was working in a restaurant six days a week for 14 hours a day, I would still take whatever time I had left over, and I'd be like, I have to tell the story. I want to write about this character. I'm, my, I'm living in my fantasy world because my reality world is not, not what I think I should be living in. And 
I just continued to do things and you have to be a little bit crazy. I, I mean, I don't, I don't, not, I'm not trying to offend anyone, but like you constantly have to say, you, you know, either whether it's jumping out of a plane, no one like walks out of a plane the first time that they're parachuting. They're scared shitless and they just jump and they see what happens. And if they land, they get confidence from it. You're, you're absolutely so, right, man. And I'm, so, I'm sorry to cut you off, but I, I'm, no, I'm no, really, I'm really pumped that you, you, you said this because I, 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 I see it all too often, man. I follow Facebook and I see people, hey, I'm starting a comic. And then three weeks later, it's like, oh, when you and you mean it didn't work because of this, this, and this. And no, you're, you, you hit it on the head, man. It is, it is a fucking grind. I, I know because I could say that, you know, even doing a, a web comic, I put myself through it. And to say that you need to be a little bit crazy is an understatement. I, my, my friends thought I was, I lost my goddamn mind. Um, I, I, I quit my, my cushy little job, my, my, my salary job with my health insurance, all that, and, and said, I'm going to fucking make comic books and this is, I'm going to be comic books and this is what it's going to be. And they're like, you're, you're insane. Now, two years later, they're looking at me a little bit different, and, right. but it's, it's, but you, you hit it on the head, man. I'm not saying that making this about me. I'm just saying, I'm just another example of that. I mean, I could say firsthand, yes, you do have to be crazy. The, the, the sacrifices you have to make are very obvious sacrifices and hard sacrifices. And um, I, I, could hear it, I could hear it in your voice talking to you that you definitely went through all of the shit it takes to finally get your foot in the door, man. I, I, I could sense it in you, and I, I, I have to stop to admire that. Um, Please carry on, but ah, oh, yeah, man, no, I'm, I'm I appreciate. <laughs> I appreciate it, and, and uh, it's very kind words. And you, we are, now it's just like it's what I've been through, so it's kind of like war wounds. But at the time, I remember it was you know, I mean, it's everything. Everything is raw. Everything is right on the surface, and everything is a huge consequence. And then you factor in all the different elements of comics about how small it is and how everyone knows each other. And if you make one misstep then everyone knows you made that misstep. Um, so, so I always tell people that I've, I've made every mistake you can make, mm -hmm. every single one, like just foolish, impulsive behavior, passionate nonsense, asking people questions about stuff at Christmas parties where I'm lucky to be at the Christmas <laughs> party. Um, so I understand. I mean, it, it's, it's tough because there's definitely a line between being naive and sort of stumbling your way through the dark and then sort of being a jerk and thinking you belong in the room when you haven't even figured out what the room space is. So either way, I mean, everyone that I've ever met that's been successful has had to just keep plowing forward. And some of the people that sometimes people stumble into things and they get a huge amount of success and they end up going away very quickly because mm -hmm. all that success goes to their head and they don't realize, you know, this, it isn't, it isn't you walk in the door and say, people say, okay, you had one success. So now you're going to have 20 or 30 years of success because you don't have that. So I, I'm always appreciative of everything I have. And when people come to me, regardless of what their talent level is or what their ambitions are, I always want them to do well, especially in comics because comics is, a very organic and very community driven thing more so than any other corporate thing. And that's, mm -hmm. that's what happens when, you know, you're still out there struggling to do stuff as an indie scene. I, I find that I'm, I went backwards. I didn't start in the indie scene. I went from being nobody to suddenly working at DC and Marvel 
to suddenly realizing I really like doing stuff in the indie sphere and, and doing stuff outside of that more than I ever did before. That well, that that uh, that's something I definitely want to touch on. But first, I I I I have to know uh, how how you you got into to DC. I mean, you, you got into DC before Marvel, correct? I actually yes, I um no, I was at Marvel as an okay. intern at Marvel Nights when uh, Joe Posada and Jimmy Palmiotti were um, given these characters during a very tumultuous time at Marvel. Uh, I was back in '97. And I, it was the internet and the internet was really my only inroad to comics. I had done crazy stuff like before the internet was there. Uh, at one point I lived in Seattle and this is when um, defiant comics uh, headed up by Jim shooter were still on the table. And I remember he was going to do the Seattle. He was going to do the Emerald con. I think it was. And I reached out to his people and I had a, uh, an in from the restaurant I was working at to get uh, Seattle Supersonics tickets, the basketball team that no longer exists. Mm-hmm. And I reached out to Jim Shooter's people and I'm like, listen, I want to go to the, uh, I'm offering Supersonic. I know he's a big basketball fan. Um, I have tickets. Will he come to the game with me? And I was thinking, we'll watch the game and I'll try and pitch him on a comic. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I, I, looking back at it now, it's kind of like crazy. I mean, Again, going back to the being crazy thing. Yes. Um, but, you know, that's what I was like. I, I can do anything. I'll pull strings. I'll sacrifice. I'll just do nutty stuff and be like, how can you not love me? I'm going to make comics someday. And no, Jim turned it down, which I don't blame him. Like some weirdo dude you don't know in Seattle <laughs> inviting to a game. Um, but the, the same thing sort of continued to happen. I was like, anytime I saw an opportunity through what was before social media, uh, I would take it. And I remember I was talking to uh, Joe and Jimmy on the internet when they were doing event comics and I kept pitching them stuff and um, they both were sort of responsive to it. And at a certain point uh, it was when the blade movie came out and I was working in a restaurant in uh, Westchester, New York that I was not having a very good time at. And I didn't want to do it anymore, but I've been working in restaurants for years. So uh, Wizard World Chicago came up and I said, fuck it. I'm just going to jump in my truck. I'm not going to go to work and I'm going to drive to Chicago and I'm going to find these guys. Because I had already built like a semi whatever Internet, you know, relationship you can have with people back in 1997. And I drove out to Chicago in my beat up 1985 pickup truck and there were no hotels near the convention center. So I took some hotel in a very shady area and I got to the hotel room. I paid for it. I went and I got a phone book, which do those even exist anymore. Mm-hmm. And I looked at the hotel they were staying in. I called the concierge desk and I finally got patched through their room, which I, I mean, none of this stuff I think can even happen anymore. And I talked <laughs> to Joe and Joe said, why don't you come to the blade party tonight? It's at this club in downtown Chicago. And I was like, okay, I'm going to go to the Blade party. And I went to the party. And we, I don't remember much of what happened at the party. <laughs> uh, but, a couple weeks, yeah, <laughs> but a couple weeks later, I was interning, interning at uh, Marvel up on the roof for Marvel Nights. And wow. we were doing Inhumans and we were doing uh, Black Panther and Daredevil with Kevin Smith. And um, it sort of became, you know, I was trying... 
I had gotten up there and I was interning and doing stuff for them. And I was pitching editors all the time. And that's when I met Paul Jenkins and Christopher Priest and a whole bunch of other people. And Chris Claremont stole my French fries from McDonald's. And <laughs> it, it was just, it was, that's how it ended up. And, and, and I, I can't work in a corporate structure. I can't work in an office space because I'm just not built for it. I spent years working in restaurants where like, if you make a mistake, everybody knows it. So you always call them out on it. But in corporate situations, you can't have that sort of behavior. So right. uh, eventually I sort of got pushed out of the corporate end of it. And I went back to working. Um, I was actually working for a fossil company and a restaurant. And one night Jimmy called me. I was sitting at a friendlies bar and he said, hey, you know, Wildstorm wants us to pitch some ideas. I have this idea. What do you think about it? And I said, oh, I think we should do this, that and the other thing. And it became 21 down which was the first um real series that we had done together and it was for wildstorm and that was 2000 and it ended up being published in 2001 i think that's so awesome damn man and and the rest is history from there i mean you've you, you've done so much since then um as crazy big titles i mean most known for jonah hex for sure Sure. Yeah. Um, but I mean, you've done Hawkman and you've done some Batwing and uh, the great stuff with DC Power Girl. I mean, Jesus Christ, dude! Uh, I, I mean, it, I, it was it was a lot of fun. It was definitely. I mean, one of the, I mean between Jonah Hex and Daughters of the like Jonah Hex at DC and Daughters of the Dragon, which really only ultimately was six issues at Marvel, but they were my favorite thing to do for Marvel. Yeah, well, that definitely answers my question of all the, I mean, the, the, the plethora of titles that you've got to, to write. That's the one, huh? That, that's the six-issue series? That's your favorite? For, for Marvel, yeah. But for DC, it's definitely Jonah Hex because okay. they, they just left us alone. Like, no one had any expectations for that book. We, uh, Jimmy and I were like, well, Jimmy went to Dan and said, Dan DiDio and said, who's doing Jonah Hex? And he said, well, uh, a certain writer that I love and I respect a lot, he might be doing it or he might be doing his own thing. That's a Western. And Jimmy was like, well, if he doesn't do it, let's do, you know, can we do Jonah Hex? And he was like, fine. And then Jimmy said to me, oh, do you want to do Jonah Hex? And I was like, all right, sure. Let's let's do Jonah Hex. <laughs> and um, but I, I don't think anyone realized like what a giant western nerd i was and like especially spaghetti westerns and stuff from uh. the 70s so i was kind of like all right you know we can do that you know and then <clears throat> and the editor said you know we want to do jonah hex and at the time we had just been doing serialized stuff and i was like all right well my idea is we do this extended 12 issue thing and it's this epic sort of the searchers or whatever and then the editor was like no i think we should do single issues and i was like it was like a light went on in my heart. I was like, single issues. Like, who does single issues anymore? I'm like, it's this big sprawling stuff all the time. And I'm like, single issues is like, it's like the perfect recipe for doing comics. It's what uh, people did. It's like one or two issues and then you're done. And then there's a new story and a new story. And I don't know whether it's a question of people not being able to do a complete story in one issue that they just have to drag it out or, or it's the trades or it's whatever. I, I don't know, but it's I probably me, money. It's probably money. You know, probably. You, you know, you write that first really good issue and then, 
You know, you put out a couple of issues in between, and then you get a fantastic finale, and there you go. They, they just got 20 bucks out of you instead of $4. You know, and I, I don't know. I, I really do think it is just a a, 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 a money situation. And the, the, the days of the one-shot comic... Man, it's there. There, there's, there's so few of them now, and that's we... why that is like the impetus for why I did Spicy Pulp because I wanted to do big, thick comics that can tell you a complete story in one or two issues, and then you can also have ongoing stuff. So I was like, like we don't need twenty-two pages with what uh, ten pages of ads for mm-hmm. six dollars, and you go, you like it's, it's a turtle race it's like incremental story bits over months and that might be fine if you like i, I don't i it's, it doesn't work for me so that's why i was like we got to do something else make it bigger and chunkier regardless of how hard it is to put those things together but yeah it was definitely more fun to write so and we could write the, like at any given point we had five issues of the book sitting there waiting to be drawn or being drawn by five different artists that Jimmy and I had handpicked for each story. And that's never, I, I can't imagine that's ever going to happen again at some place <laughs> like Marvel or DC. I just can't. Like, I was, I, I appreciate it so much more now, like what we were able to get away with. Um, and I also feel bad because I think that's what comics should be. And I think that's what they were uh, years and years ago, long before I was involved in them. But. Well, you know, uh, the, uh, never say never, though, because the, what, what independent comics are doing right now, it's just beyond anything that I think anybody could ever really imagine. You know, even uh, just beyond what Image is doing, things like Scout and just the way they're they're taking the industry and just saying, well, we could also do this. It doesn't have to just be like this. Um, right. uh, you know, it's just a matter of time before, you know, Scout has a hundred titles under them and, you know, f- 500 artists that, you know, someone you know, you just go through and say, Hey, pick your, uh, pick your doodler and let's, let's do this thing. It's, it, we're, I think it's, uh, that, that foundation of greatness is slowly being built back up again. Now that you I know, sure hope so. For de- I, definitely. I hope so. I, 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 I want to believe it. I'm going to believe it. I, I think, uh, um, comics are really just getting started again. Um, I, 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 ah, oh, man, I just, I, I see, I see, I'm going to say scout again, but I, I just, what, what the, the, the publishers, I see their vision and, ah, I, I'm, I'm very hopeful. I'm excited more than anything. So I yeah. am too. Yeah. Uh, definitely don't give up on, uh, having your, uh, your your stable of writers to pick from again, or uh, artists to pick from again. That's, I think those days are right around the corner, brother. Um, let's uh let, let let's talk about this uh this spicy pulp, man. You went from being <laughs> DC and Marvel and all you know the all the things that people aspire to be, and you stepped out of the spotlight and you said, you know what, I want to do my own thing. And I'm going to put it up on Kickstarter. And, uh, yeah, man, uh, I know that Inked Marketing, uh, the, the sponsor of the show, uh, yeah. mentioned um, you to me. And I was like, well, yeah, absolutely, obviously. I mean, this, <laughs> uh, th- this is the story that I love. Somebody that, you know, works the reverse goes from I've already done the things that, you know, people aspire to do. And now I'm going to, you know, just do the fun stuff. Um, yeah, no, th- 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 you're... 
the epitome of why I talk to comic book creators. So um, let's let's Very talk fun. about this thing. Let's talk about Spicy Pulp Man. Um, you you kind of mentioned you you missed the days of the the one shot thick comic. Um, tell tell us more about where this thing spawned from. Uh, it, it's it's one of those things where I, I went through a period where I was working post Jonah Hex when it uh, it transitioned into a sort of generic title to kind of keep the branding alive, which was All Star Western, which is still a great title, but it was like building something for five years and then saying, well, now we have to conform it to, to whatever the, uh, the plan is. And I thought to myself, I was like, from going from ultimate freedom to saying, all right, now there's a, a group of people saying, how do we leverage this material to make sure that it maximizes revenue and justifies it being printed. And I started to think about all the things I loved about comics and Again, it goes back to the idea that I was reading something that that was exclusive to the community of people that were reading it. It was it was something you couldn't get anywhere else. And sometimes it was stuff you weren't supposed to be reading. I was definitely reading certain kinds of comics when I should not. I don't even know how I got them, to be honest with you. Mm -hmm. I mean, stuff with I mean, Richard Corbin passed recently and I was thinking, like, what a huge influence he had on me. Um that I wasn't even aware of that. It was just like, it wasn't. And even like when you look at the old uh, savage sort of Conan comics and how much nudity is in those and how much adult stuff is in those that got sort of watered down as, as Marvel kind of took the brand uh, and took the licensing of Robert E. Howard stuff and sort of made it palatable to everyone, which I'm not, I'm not going to say I didn't love them. I, I loved all that stuff regardless of what the material was. But as I was, as I was thinking about what I wanted to do, I wanted to see things and I wanted, since this push for comics to be so much more mature, to take Scooby-Doo and turn it into something for adults not to be ashamed of reading, mm -hmm. like my attitude is Scooby-Doo should be Scooby-Doo. It should be kid stuff. It should be, you should be encouraging generation after generation to, to we go to this stage and then we go to that stage. And I remember Epic Comics and I remember uh, Heavy Metal and I remember all these other kinds of comics that were like way ahead of where I was like, I was reading fantastic four. I'm like, the fantastic four doesn't do this. And I, I wanted to go back and say, let's just make fun, crazy shit. Like, let's just mm -hmm. do stuff that is an escape. And especially in the last couple of years of just like everything being so serious and everything's, everyone's angry and everything's on the edge of the world. And I thought, why not just do, fun stuff and it doesn't always have to make sense it doesn't always have to be the most solid plot and structured perfectly but if you're reading it and you're distracted and you're entertained and you like the characters and you might laugh or you might go oh shit that's crazy um that to me is what made me happy about comics um so i wanted to go back to that and spicy pulp is that sort of it's tongue-in-cheek sometimes, it's serious sometimes, it's science fiction, it's fantasy. Um, I like to play around with genres like crazy. I, I, I always laugh at... When I, I remember I was watching... Um, oh, man, I can't remember the name. It's it like Demon Slayer or something. There's some 80s barbarian movie, and it was on Amazon Prime. I was flicking through, and I started watching, and I was like, holy shit, people would lose their minds at how sexist this is and how goofy <laughs> it is. And I was like, but if you kind of look at it and say, well, 
what if they tried to make this movie now? Everyone would bash it. But what if what if you could make it and it was funny or you could make it and it was like entertaining in a way that made you think oh, it's just silly, but there's something there. So then I made uh, this this character, Dude Bro the Bar- Barbarian, popped into my head. And I was like, oh, yeah, Dude Bro the Barbarian. And like makes in classic Savage Sword of Conan with the sort of social commentary of, of like, it's unacceptable for a man to walk into a room and hit a woman with a club and drag her off by the hair anymore. And I thought it was hysterical. And, like, what if this guy just didn't get it? Like, because he wouldn't get it because he's a barbarian. I was like, this is how we do things. And, <laughs> and those elements to me, like pushing those things into different fantasy elements to me and, and, the, and the science fiction and all that other stuff was interesting. I love it. Uh, that, that's, that's awesome. And you really, it's brilliant because you, uh, you, you leave yourself open to so many different possibilities. And, you know, when you, when you, uh, I don't know, man, I, I haven't read it, but I, I can, I, I'm just picturing all of the greatness that, that could possibly be in this. I could, I could feel the excitement in your voice, man. Um, no, this is a, this is not a, a family book from my understanding. No. No. no, no. What, what made you decide to go with the, uh, uh, the, I mean, well, you, you kind of touched on it already. You, you want you know, the, 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 the old Conan type of stuff before it got watered down. But when you're going for more of a fun type of style, uh, I mean, you, 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 you can tread a line a lot of different ways so i mean what made you decide to go with this decision well my and i i I was just talking to someone tonight because i i um i just finished another kickstarter for a book that's completely different from everything that we're talking about (laughs) and he was saying i i like what you do with the spicy pulp book and yet you're doing this other thing and i'm completely surprised by how you're doing it and I, I don't know what it is about my brain is that I want to do everything and I want to do stuff that is serious and I want to do stuff that's fun. I want to do stuff that's zany and bonkers. And like I said, with heavy metal, I mean, and Richard Corbin, I mean, Den, his character, one of his, like, if you say Richard Corbin, I think most of the time, if you understand who he is and what he's done, it's a giant muscle dude naked all the time running around having adventures and in Spicy Pulp 5, I was like, let's just do a female version of Den in the sense that she's naked for like 25 of the 30 pages. But it's not gratuitous. It's just kind of a situation that's thrust upon her. It's just like when Corbin introduced Den, Den went into this world. He's never, he was this little scrawny whatever nerd or whatever it was at the time. And all of a sudden, he's this giant, super masculine, naked, unashamed character and i thought why can't i do that with a female character where it it doesn't make any difference to her that she's naked just like it didn't except for a couple moments in the heavy metal film but the idea was like we're, these are fantasy worlds and if you're not hurting anyone and they're not going to be for everyone but it's a fa- like allow yourself to have a fantasy that people aren't shaming you for and i thought that was one of the things about corbin's den was that it was it was him and saying i wish i was this thing i wish i could have this fantasy where i was this thing but he's not at no point is it do i see um den as a negative thing for him wanting to do that and just like i see um, with lady redbeard i thought and it makes sense in the story the reason why she's naked through most of the story is that she has to be because it's how she does the thing that she does to get to where she needs to be um so 
I, I like the idea that I like the idea of not taking something that's not a mature comic and I'll use the Batman's dick story. Mm-hmm. Like no one needed to see Batman's dick, but in a story where it makes sense to have the, the characters be in a mature setting and act mature and have sex and have conversations that are mature. To me, that makes more sense than to just sign up like, Oh, we need to generate sales or we need to generate controversy. that will increase sales. So for me, it was just writing characters that is real life it's not it's not a fantasy i'm not i'm not making it for kids and i'm not sugarcoating it for anyone else so these people do the things they do if they're naked or if they're discussing conversations about mature things that's what is inherent to the, their character i'm not just throwing it in there to sell comics yeah it, it doesn't sound like this is a, a book of perversions if you will it's just yeah. well in this situation uh these, these guys don't have clothes is kind of what it sounds like. It's not, you know, like I, I hate to use the, uh, I mean, I, I don't want to sound negative at all when I say like Lady oh, Death or Hell Witch or anything like that. But it's not just tits for the sake of tits, you know. It, it, there, there's, there's, there's more to this from what it sounds like. And uh, I'm, 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 I'm glad to bring this about because a lot of people, you know, they look at something and it says, oh, you know, and it very clearly in the Kickstarter says several times, not for children, you know, adults mm-hmm. only, you know, right. that, that some people would look at that immediately and go, well, this is just smut. This is porn in cartoons or whatever, but no, no. I, so I'm, I'm glad that you were able to actually, you know, kind of get that out there for, for my listeners at the very least to say, no, this is, this is a book of substance, just, uh. Well, I would explain it, but I don't want to give spoilers away because it's actually plot elements that are involved with why she's doing what she's doing. Uh, but I also, I, ha- I have no qualms with what Brian's doing. I've known Brian for years, and I don't, I, I don't think of um, the books that you mentioned or the characters you mentioned uh, as being exactly that. I think, I think if people see it only as that way, then there's, you know, it's a bias. Um, there's definitely books where you were like, okay, and we're just waiting to get to that one climactic scene. Um, but to, to me, it's like it, it, me saying it's a book for adults means that it's not, it doesn't mean it's porn. It just means that like you're a grown up and you realize that sometimes people do things or sometimes you're going to see a boob or sometimes you're going to be in a situation Right. Other than just saying it's just titillating to get you to buy the book. I mean, it definitely the visuals of it. um, I always think I want to grab attention. But at the end of the day, you're you're reading stories about it's not I guarantee you it's not what you expect. It looks like one thing. Mm -hmm. And and I go out of my way to make sure that it's not it's not just gratuitous um, material just to get you in the door. Like, I want you here. I want you to read these stories. I want you to engage with these characters, even though they might be crass or like I said, Lady Redbeard might be naked for 25 out of 30 pages. Um, But there's a reason why. And it's not like they sit there and go, Oh no, I lost my clothes. What's ever going to happen to me? Right. Um, So yeah. And and, and I want it to be fun. And like, again, it's, it's comics for adults and not comics pretending to be two different things. Uh, at, you know, at different mm-hmm. sales points or price points. No, I and uh, that's that's respectable for sure because I I am definitely one of those buyers where you know I I don't buy uh, you know smutty comics. It's just not my thing. God forbid, yeah. you know, one of my uh, one of my girls gets a hold of it, and I gotta answer yeah. questions and shit. 
You know, that's just, it, I have nothing against that, that genre at all. But with this, I feel, you know, like I said, I don't feel like, I, I, I don't know. It just feels different from the, the, the normal outside, hey, she's barely wearing any clothes on the cover type of book. You know, and I, I, I have nothing against Lady Death and Hell Witch. I, actually, yes. I, have a, I have a Lady Death poster on my, uh, on my whole goddamn uh, hallway. But, you know, I mean, I love Lady Death. The, the, the kid loves Lady Death, too. Had to answer some questions, though. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but um, nevertheless. Well, my daughter my daughter is like, Dad, why is her boobs out? And I'm like, well, <laughs> yeah. like, this is what happened. And that's why she doesn't, you know, she doesn't wear clothing. And she's like, oh, all right, then fine. Yeah, yeah. It's it's not something to where you know, God forbid, you'd have you 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 you've ruined the kid. You know, it's right. it's, and I, I I just for any listeners out there that may be you know, uh, treading you know once or just right down the middle of the fence. I, I this is why I, I'm really stressing that this part of the book as much as I am is it's I I I know what first of all I know what inked marketing would bring to me because inked marketing knows right. what I like. Um, but uh and we had a discussion i said i said you know i i said i go right up against the line because i spent so many years being boxed in and saying you couldn't do this and you can't do that and those characters don't do this and i was like oh yeah people do this i'm like this is stuff that people do Mm -hmm. you know i'm like you know and stuff i pitched some teen titan stuff that probably would curl people's hair (laughs) <laughs> and I was like, there are teenagers with superpowers. Do you not think how chaotic that would be? Right. Oh, I'm like, oh. it's, I, you can't even trust a normal teenager who can't use telekinesis to do the right thing. Can you imagine what would happen? And I'm like, you guys can't because, you know, you're not going to sell comics. <laughs> so I'm just like, if you had this ability or you could time travel, you would eventually, so even good people would do some stupid shit. So, uh, well, uh... I'm glad you brought that up about being in the box. Uh, how great is it? I mean, you know, like I said, every uh, or we we both stated, you know, a lot of people try to start out in indies and work their way up to the big two. But working working the other direction, how great is it going from you know being in a sandbox confined to all these all of these rules and uh, mm-hmm. editors and all this to just saying I'm gonna do whatever the fuck I want. And nobody's gonna tell me otherwise, and it's gonna go up on Kickstarter, and the the, the crowd's gonna speak for itself. People are gonna yeah. It, that's mean, definitely the thing that that drives me is that like the, the people are gonna tell me if they like it or they don't like yeah. it, and I can I can live with that more than I can live with being told that there's a there's a uh, algorithm that says I can't do what I what I think is right to do. Yeah. Um, and I I mean when. <sighs> I always get frustrated because I'm like, evil should be evil, right? So, so like, if you want people to be invested in something, then you have to show them something that makes them out, feel outraged. And I remember there was a scene, and it was uh, early on in Jonah Hex. It was a Phil Noto. Um, Phil had, had drawn this uh, issue. Mm. And I really wanted to drive home this sort of dichotomy of people saying that Hex wearing the Confederate uniform was inherently racist and I wanted there to be actual repulsive racism in the book. And so there was this scene where this couple, there were a mixed race couple and she was pregnant going into labor and they were desperate to find some place to help her have the baby. And they found this cabin in the swamp and this family took them in and said, Oh, we'll help you. We'll help you. 
and they assumed this dynamic between the white female and the black male was different from what it was. They didn't see it as a romantic. These people loved each other. And when the baby was born, they realized that the baby was a love child of this thing. And this is like, this is 1800 something, right? And I thought, in order for you to root for someone like Jonah Hex, who seems like the antithesis of uh, of what modern society is, and for for us to say that there has to be a genuine emotional connection to what's happening in this book that's that's like nothing else that they're doing. I wrote a scene where the baby was born, they delivered the baby, they saw the baby's skin color, and they threw the baby into an alligator pit. And mm. Jonah Hex slaughtered everyone in the house. Because he couldn't, because he was friends with the father of the baby, and he had brought them there, trying to help shepherd them through um, a terrible time. And the editor was like, "We cannot do this." And I was like, "We have to do this." I'm like, "You have to identify with why things are wrong." And to do that, you need to see the extreme, especially when there's no law. Especially, I can't. The thing with writing Jonah Hex and writing any kind of period piece for me is. Or an, a, a post-apocalypse piece like um, the standstill that I work on, is that you remove all known societal barriers and you say, "This is what could potentially happen when you take all responsibility away, and it's just groups of people who are in charge in certain pockets." And The Walking Dead did that, and mm-hmm. I thought the only way that you can make people genuinely root for someone who's basically—I mean, Jonah Hex is basically like a, a, a sociopathic serial killer who just happens to do things for the right reasons like mm-hmm. Dexter and so, you know, um, is to make the people that he can't stand so much worse than him that it justifies any kind of violence that he does to them because he's helping make the world a better place, even if he doesn't want to. And so being in a situation where I like was pushing that kind of narrative onto something and having them say, we can't possibly do that. That's crazy. People are going to get mad at us. And I thought, all right, when I do Kickstarters, I'm just going to do whatever I do. And if people get mad at me, it's people getting mad at me. It's not shareholders. It's not, you know, people that aren't responding directly to the material. So that's, again, that's one of the things I really like about being able to do something on my own. As you said, going from corporate uh, mainstream comics to just saying, I want to do my own thing. And that's the kind of thing that I really um, felt passionate about right or wrong you know but to have the opportunity to do that was important to me now that you've tasted this uh this sweet sweet freedom if you were ever (laughs) offered the uh the uh, job back at marvel and dc and i'm sure you get offers all the time i mean uh, is it is it something that you would ever go back and do especially now that you know you've seen that you can host a successful kickstarter um well, first of all, I'm not I'm not getting those calls, and I think the the last five minutes probably explains why. <laughs> but, um, uh, you know, there's some characters that it, it, I was I had a very romantic view of comics um, before I got into comics, and it, I was very quickly alerted to the fact that it is a business. It is, and and there's things I love about it, and and I'm not going to say it's not, it's not good. It's, it totally is. And, and, and I'm so, again, I'm so glad everyone's enjoying it. And and now there's a bigger audience for all these characters. And especially I hope that they continue to do smaller characters. 
Um, but I had a very sort of rose colored glasses view of comics because I didn't see it as a business. I saw it as what Stan Lee told us it was. It was everybody hanging out. We had the bullpen and everyone had big smiling cartoon faces mm-hmm. and we could just make shit up and everyone loved it. And, and, it, and that's 90% of the time. That's not, that wasn't true. I mean, like, again, Jonah Hex was like that. And we were very fortunate, Jimmy and I, and all the artists we worked with, colorists and letterers. Um, that was when I did that book, it was like everything I thought comics should be. It was fun. We were just jamming and riffing and, and it wasn't, you know, a structured thing where this has to happen at this time. It has to happen in this book. And someone comes in and does, you know, gives you a plot outline and then you have to dialogue someone else's draft or something. Mm. Um, when it was just, and I, and I, I think that was the more successful book we had in terms of what, people like to read was Jonah Hex um, and, and to some extent like Daughters of Dragon and, and I had pitched countless things over and over again and the reality is is that it's a business and I don't I don't take away from it for being a business but if you want to make comics at a certain point regardless of Kickstarter or Marvel DC starting with it, it's a business and you still have to have the business acumen you still have to think about it in that term so you do the creative thing and with Kickstarter, I think I do 20% creative and 80% everything else. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think a lot of people realize that. And I've definitely talked to people who said, oh, I want to do a Kickstarter. I want to do that. I'm like, all right, well, here's what you have to do. And they're like, wow, that's a lot. I don't want to do a Kickstarter anymore. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. It's no, it's, it's, it's yeah. People think kick, doing a Kickstarter is just the easy way to, to get a comic out there. And I'm sorry. It's, I can't say that I've done a Kickstarter, but I've watched the uh, the the horrors that my friends and <laughs> uh, everybody else around me that has done Kickstarters go through. I mean, it's uh, the, the the nauseating middle of the week, or middle of the the campaign type of slump and all of that. And I mean, just it, it's not just a set it and forget it type of thing either, man. I mean, you're marketing your ass off. You you are the internet for the next 30 days you you can't step away from it so it's uh it's, it's everything easy. leading up to that i mean i make sure that that um that everyone gets paid like i pay everyone before that kickstarter even launches mm. Damn. so unless i have a special agreement with someone that says okay we're gonna do this way and that way i pay them all and then I go and I go, oh my god i hope this kickstarter covers all the payments so i can do this oh. um but, you know, and I don't pay them like I don't I pay them when they're done. I don't make them wait 30 or 60 or 90 days. Right. Ninety nine percent of the time they're paid when the art's in and when the coloring's in. And then I go and I do whatever pre-production, post-production, any kind of editing on the artwork or coloring and put the book together physically so that the printer can print it and make sure that it's right, which was a huge learning curve for me because I had never done it before. And that was one of the things I really felt liberated because when I did mainstream comics, I would hand in a script. And at the beginning, like some of the editors let you talk to the artists and you'd be like, Hey, and some of the editors wouldn't let you talk to the artists at all. And I was like, but I really talk to the artist. And then it would just be like, you hand in the script, they give you notes, you make the note changes and then it's gone. And then three months later you get a box of comps and you go, Oh, I don't really like the coloring on this or 
there's great coloring on this or I didn't really want things to be laid out this way or whatever. Um, and that, that was a thing that once when I was like, and it, and it was definitely, it was, um, the turning point for me was I wasn't getting calls back from DC and I had been talking to Darwin cook and he was like, why are you just, why don't you just do your own thing? And I was like, I don't know. It seems like this huge endeavor. It seems like looking at the way that, you know, these corporations do it, it's this like huge monstrosity of a machine. And then I started thinking like, screw it, I'll just do it. And, um, that's how I started doing Kickstarters. I was like, I was going to, I mean, I had been doing Kickstarters with Jimmy, but Jimmy was doing a lot of the heavy lifting and I didn't understand what it was. And I apologize again to Jimmy about <laughs> that. Um, because again, I was still in that mindset where you turn in your work and then you're done. And I can't tell you that I actually prefer as hard as it is. And as, as, as I guess I said, creative is 20% and everything else is 80%. I still like, taking on the responsibility of I'm doing it. And if I fail, it's because I failed. It's not because anyone else failed. It's not because I got sabotaged or an artist flaked out or the, the editor decided to change stuff and where the publisher said, that's not going to work and you can't use that character. And like failing on your own merit is to me, one of the things that appeals to me to knowing that, that what I'm doing is more so than, than reactions from things it's knowing that i either succeed or fail on my own merit or my choices so i make these decisions and if i fail i fail and i learn from them i think there's a lot more to learn from that too than say you know not just not being able to complete something because of some boundaries that you're confined to you know there's not right. as much to learn from there because if to me that's not even considered i wouldn't even consider that a failure you know, it's uh, not not being able to do the thing you wanted to do because someone else told you no. You know, it's right. that, that, that uh, man, I can't imagine. You know, you, you said that you, they they wouldn't let you talk to the artist sometime. I mean, to me, that's... It's that, crazy to me. I was like, why can't I talk to the artist? And then you know, the editor was like, no, I'll talk to the artist and I'll let you know what the artist... And I did that. <clears throat> the same kind of thing happened with a showrunner. Uh, we had, Jimmy and I had worked on an animated show and the showrunner would not let us talk to Nickelodeon. That's crazy. And, uh, and just kept giving us notes based on whatever he thought. And I was like, but I want to know what they think. And I mean, it didn't, it didn't go well after that. In fact, we, I think we ended up quitting that gig because we didn't have any say and didn't know what Nickelodeon was saying that they wanted. So, wow. I mean, I might have been wrong. He might have been telling me exactly what Nickelodeon was saying, but I didn't get that feeling, so... Oh, no, and yeah, I, I would imagine you did the right thing, too, man. I mean, that's... Ugh, that, that's disgusting. See, to me, that, that takes away from the art of it all. You want to get into this as an artist, not as some, you know, a corporate suit. That's no fun. I mean, that's not why we do comics. When we go to college and become accountants, if that's what the fuck that we want to do. So, right. uh, no, it's... Uh, you, you, you do... you. I admire your uh, your your will to you know say no I don't I, I don't respect this I'm gonna I'm gonna do something else and um, to 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 go on and do Kickstarters and successfully by the way and as you know with with the spicy pulp right now as we talk um, I I have to say congratulations you're already Thank funded you. you no longer need my help uh, <laughs> um, I, um, you uh, you you set a pretty hefty goal of 10k and you're uh, 
you're well beyond that now. I think we're over 14 K now, I believe. But I do need your help because I want, all I want to do is reach more people that are going to enjoy the books. I mean, that's really what it is to me. It's not, it honestly isn't about the money outside of making sure that everyone I work with is, is given what, you know, what they want in terms of, you know, they want their page rates, they want to get paid on time. But for me, it's like getting more people to read it. And if I'm reaching more people and, and they're enjoying it, that's what makes me happy. And, and that's why you've had a, a, a 20 plus year career, man, because you're, you're, you're doing it for the right reasons. Uh, and I, I, Man, I I don't know you, but I could I, I could feel it in your voice. This this you you admire this industry on a level that I do. You know, it, you don't take it for granted. You realize that this is not just one of the things out there. It's the thing, whether people want to realize it or not. You know, comic books are. Uh, pushing the economy um oddly enough it's 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 in it's insane it's insane on so many ways too because even when as the economy crashes we can ironically turn to comic books and just forget about the crushing economy so i think they're, uh, <laughs> yeah you're, they're definitely saving the film industry i mean i don't know that there's anything that's generated as much revenue in the last 20 years as superhero and comic book based movies i yeah. I, I, I can't you what i what could you point to but, I mean, it's like sports, it's sports level to the, you know, to the movie industry. Oh, the NFL wishes they were making right. um, Marvel money. They, 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 uh, no. And that, well, that's, and that's why, pro- that's why that's- Ali Garza did all the, um, and I, I love that. And I was sitting with my daughter watching an NFL game and she was like, oh, that's interesting. The, the football players are all illustrations. And I was like, that's Ali Garza. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, yep. I'm like, good for him. Yep, I, I've I've seen the NFL incorporate a few badass uh, comic book artists here and there, man, and uh, yes. they know what they're doing. They're trying to get that money, man. They know what people want, and um, this is a. Uh, I love saying it, man. This is a time when the, the 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 comic book readers and creators were we are ruling the world right now. This is this is our world. We we're enjoying it on a level that nobody else has ever been able to actually enjoy it before out loud. Yes, and, uh, for sure. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm loving this, man. I'm loving what you're doing. I'm, uh, spicy pulp. You have my money. You definitely. I've, I've, <laughs> I, I, I've backed. Um, I, I, I backed as soon as, uh, as soon as, Inked Marketing sent this over to me. I just. Um, well, like, thank you. Well, uh, yeah, and it, once again, I'm, the, I'm somebody that usually, you know, if you send me something with the, the first thing I notice are the boobs. I'm usually gonna go. Ah! I don't, I don't know if this is for me, but then I, you know, I, I look into who created this and uh, who, 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 you know, recommended this to me, and I know that this is something that I'm going to be uh, nothing but thrilled with when the, the this book arrives. Do you have a, an arrival date for this yet? Um, I'm hoping. I mean, it's always uh, it's very fluid when you do stuff Absolutely. like this. Um, so you have. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm having it printed on demand with my, um, favorite printer and the, and it's huge because it's not just issue five. There's two trades. I mean, there's almost 400 pages worth of comics just in this one campaign because each of the books are at least 60 pages. Hmm. And, um, this one five is, um, 64 pages of all content. Sometimes I have uh, pinups from the covers and everything else. Um, so I, I, I'm shooting for, I mean, I think most people start getting in in March. And the other thing is the, the USPS 
is an absolute mess right now. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a backer in Sweden had their book bouncing around between um, Jamaica, Queens, and Newark, New Jersey for two weeks. Oh, and New Jersey me... is the uh, black hole of comic books right now, it seems. Yes. Yeah. And it, it, all the, um, the international hub on the East Coast all goes through Newark. So all of my international backers, I apologize. It's, it's, I, I have no control over it. Um, I could say I from somebody that has had something stuck in Newark for uh, a month, <laughs> it will show up. They will dig yes. it out of the pile. It will show up eventually. It's, but yeah, no, that's the right. That that is the uh, the death stop of comics. It seems. Um, and, and it's funny too because I the one that got to um, Finland today. He said the packaging was ripped apart, but the comics were fine. And I'm like, the way that I package these things, like you have to have a vendetta against envelopes to, <laughs> to damage them. I'm always, I always sit there and I'm like, I pack all these myself. I did um, the, for the last Kickstarter for the book Standstill that I do, I bagged and boarded over a thousand comics in three days. And I'm like, like I can't put all that effort in and not reinforce all my packaging. Mm. And I'm like, you would have to be a homicidal maniac to bend this. And sometimes they come back and they're like, send me pictures and it's bent. And I'm like, how? Like, why does your post office hate you so much? (laughs) I'm like, this is like ripping a phone book in half. (laughs) I I don't get it. Yeah, no, and I... The, you're absolutely right. I've seen it myself. Uh, I'm, it's uh, the, the 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 post office is an absolute nightmare. So as far as the arrival date goes, uh, right. <laughs> yeah, I'm hoping for March. I mean, I'm, the book's done. It's completely done. This is the very first time I've had uh, a spicy pulp book done, um, 100 percent uh, ahead of a, ahead of uh, the Kickstarter. Um, usually they're 90 percent done. There's still some coloring or or some lettering to be done. But this one's 100% done, so all I have to do is get it to the printer and then start, you know, packing and shipping. So I hope that it will be uh, people start getting it uh, in the second or third week of March, maybe the, the last week of March, somewhere in there. That's right around the corner, man. That's a great, great turnaround I town. Uh, turnaround time. I, I've I've had stuff take over a year to show up before right. on Kickstarter before. That's up. That's fantastic. Yeah, I don't, I don't want to do that. What I want to do is I want to make sure that if people are getting books, you know, that, that they're getting it as timely as possible. And sometimes it happens. I mean, but it also happens that sometimes uh, someone will come back to me and say, I, I, oh, I, I didn't get my books for uh, Spicy Pulp 2 and I'm on five. And I'm like, oh, when did you fill out the survey? And they're like, oh, right. I just filled it out last week. I'm like, all right, fine. You know, I have the books here. I'll get them out to you. Um, but it happens. So sometimes you're kind of like, Oh, there's an extra thing I didn't count on, but right. Oh yeah. No, I mean, stuff happens. That's all there is to it. But the fact is the book's done. You're ready to ship. It's just whatever hindrance comes in between happens. Um, hopefully it's all smooth sailing. Um, the holidays are over. So as long as the books don't have to go through New Jersey, I think we're fine. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Uh, now, I, I do have to ask one more question, and excuse my sure. ignorance here. You've done five spo- spicy pulps. Do, uh, do you follow a new character for each one? Is Lady Redbeard a, a, a new character that you're using for this? Or somebody? Uh, no. No. Uh, um, <clears throat> it is the idea is that I have a main story, and okay. I break up the main story into two parts. So I have a 30-page 
in the first one, a 30 page in the second one. So it's 60 pages of a complete story. There's no cliffhanger on the main character. So the first two issues of Spicy Pulp that I did, I it was Lady Redbeard. Okay. And and then I added uh, short stories, uh, self-contained for issue one. Um, and then I started adding serialized stories uh, in issue two. And then for three and four, I introduced another character called the Road Witch. And the idea came to me that it was, um, you know, when you, and this is obviously very tragic. Uh, so it's a supernatural story. Um, I, all of us have driven down a road or a highway and seen flowers and crosses where people have died mm-hmm. on the road. And I thought it would be very interesting if the people that loved those people um, or people that had some injustice in their lives could go to those spots where the crosses and the flowers are on the side of a road and pray to have something, a sort of spirit of vengeance that would come and help them in a time of need. And I thought the road witch where you summon the road witch when you go to these sites where someone has passed and she is completely compelled by a curse from 300 and some odd years ago that she has to do that. Like that's her curse throughout her life is that every time someone in need alongside the road where someone has died calls upon her, she has to show up. That sounds awesome. And so that's what the road witch does. And, and in issue three and four of spicy pulp, the road witch has her own self-contained sort of origin story and um, <clears throat> I was working with an artist and they had done the road witch with me and then they had to go and do something else. And I had already written this whole uh, next 60 page story with the road witch crossing over in a time period like 1923 where um, she gets summoned by HP Lovecraft. And I had started working on that and I finished 90% of that story and the artist couldn't get on it. And I thought, all right, let me, I also have a new Lady Redbeard story. And so I put together the Lady Redbeard story and I reached out to an artist who is an animator on, there's a show on Netflix called Super Drag. Okay. Uh, which is exactly what you would consider it. It's mm-hmm. about super drag queens. And he Fucking said, awesome. I'm available. Let's do this Lady Redbeard thing. I said, it's bonkers. It's nuts. It's in space. It's in space prison. There are all these crazy characters. You're going to have to do serious. And then you're going to have to do animated stuff. And um, he was like, I'm down. Let's do it. And so I was like, here you go. Here's the first 30 pages. And that's what's in issue five. And he, he just goes nuts. And in fact, at a certain point, because uh, we have oftentimes I work with people who, who English is not their first language. So sometimes we have a conversation, we went back and forth, and this is probably the most hardcore um, rated R scene in the thing. Um, I, I kept explaining to him that I wanted to solve conflicts uh, with sex. So instead of it being a typical Hulk smash fight scene where they battle it out until the, you know, the last chance, like a Rocky movie. I said, what if the character was more clever and they didn't want to fight? They just found another solution. And so he kept going back and forth and he didn't understand what I was saying. And finally I was like, all right, let's just do this. (laughs) So there's a scene in issue five that is absolutely hysterical and, um, and then violently and tragically. And and there's so much stuff that happens in these issues. That's just bonkers. um, That I feel like it's such an outlet for me. And then, like, like the thing I said earlier, where I wanted to do something in the mainstream comics, and like, you can't do that. You just can't do that. Mm. That's what I do in spicy pulp comics. I'm like, fuck it. I'm just going to do it. And <laughs> people are either going to like it or they're going to be like, you're insane. And 
I'm like, but I don't know that they're not going to laugh a little bit at it. So. I, I, I love it, man. I, I, I love the fact that you turned a, a, a moment of uh, distranslation, I guess. I don't even know if that's a word. Um, <laughs> and, and to uh, I, I, essentially, uh, fuck it, let's just run with this type of comedy thing. You know, to me, that, that, that speaks volumes for you as a writer as well. Because I, I know... I, I I know so many writers out there that would say no 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 this is this, this is the, supposed to be the thing and you know right. but you you're cool enough to be like yeah you know what this is actually pretty funny let's roll with it that that alone right there is enough for me to want to pick this up like I I want to see these five pages now I want to know what the <laughs> what what this is what this has turned into blossomed into I. You have my interest, man. Oh, I'm so glad we brought that up. Oh, oh fuck. Yeah, this is this, this sounds great, man. This, 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 thank you. This, this just trying to have fun. And that's what it's supposed to be, man. I, I, and like you said, comics are a business, but in the end, I, I think they're supposed to be an art more than anything, and yeah. art should be fun. You know, I mean, it doesn't always need to be this. Um, I, I don't know, big uh, moment type of thing where, you know, you, 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 nobody, not everything needs to be the next Watchmen. Let's let's put it that way. No, you definitely. Know? And I say that in the campaign. I'm like, I'm not trying to reinvent comics and I'm not trying to make some kind of statement about the human condition or politics or anything else. I just want you to be amused for however long it takes you to read the comic and for you to go, oh, you know what? I didn't waste my time, however yep. long it was, 5, 10, 15, 20 minutes. And just be like, ah, you know what? That, that that made my day a little brighter, or it made me laugh, or it made me go, oh my god, this is insane. You know, just any kind of stuff like that. Like, I think we really needed, especially. I mean, I've been doing this. This is the fifth issue, and they take a long time to put together. Well, you're doing uh, sixty pages, man. That's that's. And there's three different artists, and there's different colorists, and then Ooh. lettering it all, and yeah, so it's a lot to put together. But I mean, I. I enjoy it more than anything I've done. It's just like, because it's fun. And like I said, it just should, it should be fun. It should be entertaining. Uh, I, I have a feeling I'm going to be entertained. I, I, I have a, a damn good feeling, man. Um, <laughs> uh, this is, so. if not, you'll just be massively disappointed. <laughs> well, you know, uh, <laughs> wouldn't be the first time. <laughs> no, no, this is, uh, I, I, I have, I'm I'm so enthused about this, man. It just seems like a lot of fun. And to me, having it be a one shot. The other thing that you have going for is there's no investment to it. It's a one time investment. You know, you don't have to see what happens in the next issue and hope it gets better if the first issue is not good. I'm not saying that's going to be the case, but you you have that going for you as a as a one shot. And um, I I, am I mean, or- it's, it's it's just like like I said, it's a, like issue one has 30 pages, issue two has 30 pages, but that's the end of the story for that character. Like Lady Redbeard is those pages, mm. um, but there's other stories in there that go on, but like they, they end. Like I don't want to drag them out, so like. At most, um, with the exception of one story uh, called Mecca Monroe, um, it ends within three or two chapters. So, right on. Yeah. See, uh, I I love it, man. Um, I, I I miss one shots. They just don't do them enough. They don't do no, them enough. They definitely don't. Justin Gray, I can't thank you enough for your time. I can't imagine how busy you are. I uh, uh, congratulations. I'm happy to be here. Oh, Thank you. man. 
It means a lot for you to come on. That's that's for damn sure. You've you've done some pretty admirable things in an industry that um, I, uh, I, I I worship. I think is the word. Worship <laughs> is the word. Um, uh, so I, I I I thank you, and you're continuing to do it on another level on Kickstarter, proving that. Marvel in DC is just another way to do it. It's not the way to do it. And, right. um, and I, people should know that for sure. So thank you for bringing that up. Uh, well, uh, thanks for proving it, man. Um, I'm, I, I urge the listeners to, to just search Spicy Pulp on Kickstarter. The, the campaign is still going on now. It will be for a uh, few days after this uh, episode airs. But as we speak now, um, <laughs> I have to congratulate you already. Uh, d- Thank you. Are there stretch goals to look forward to? Actually, we're really close to unlocking the third stretch goal right Bam. now. Bam. And I'm talking to uh, the printer uh, to see if we can come up with some other stuff. That's oh, that's that's fucking rad, man. Justin Gray, thank you so much. You have another Kickstarter or anything else you ever want to talk about? Um, there is an open mic for you here at Cheers to Comics, man. This has been an thank absolute you, pleasure and an honor. Um, I, I I really look forward to Spicy Pulp. All right, I hope you love it. <laughs> I'm sure I will, man. You. <laughs> Stay safe out there, and uh, you too. please don't stop creating comics, man. We need you. I appreciate that. I'll try not to. <laughs> right on, man. Cheers, brother. Cheers. All right, man. We got our... Well, there you have it. There you go. Another creator cornered. Another episode booked. There you go. So uh, how about that Justin Gray, man? I'm a fan. I'm a damn huge fan now. <laughs> the dude is just, uh, you, you can't deny his career. And um, uh, you, you'd be silly to, you know, kind of look away from what he's doing now and what he's what he's fixing to do. I'm stoked on, well, Stoker and Wells, and um, I, I can't wait to go through and check out She again. You know, it's uh, it's been a while, man. It's been a while. But I'm I'm looking forward to seeing what he's doing with this character. I've said it all. I said it all. Um, I'm I'm just stoked that Justin Gray took the time to uh, pop in on the old Cheers to Comics podcast here. You know, just another stop on the NSC Roadshow tour. And if you don't know what that is, then um, like I said, check out Inked Marketing, man. Check it out. So, uh, after you check out Inked Marketing. Head on over to Patreon, patreon.com slash cheers to comics if you, you know, ever want to listen to this episode again, maybe, without ads, you know, no intro, no outro like this, then uh, you could do that on Patreon. Um, and several other, many other episodes, um, in the you know, for the future, you know, episodes that are on Patreon now aren't going to be out to the public for a while, so I don't know about how patient you are, but I'm not. And um, if I knew that I had content that I wanted on Patreon for just a buck, then I, I would I would spend the dollar. I would spend the dollar because it's not like I'm just dropping one episode a month. No, no, Mm-mm. no. I, I do you better than that. So head on over to Patreon, Patreon.com/slash Cheers to Comics. And then make sure you drop those five star iTunes or Apple Podcast reviews, whatever the hell you want to call it. Just do that. Do that. Leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and watch the show grow just by clicking 
five stars, you know? Hey, pretend that I'm a shitty restaurant and your name is Karen, but in an uh, but in, in an alternate reality. And instead of leaving one star and a scathing review, leave five stars and how much I changed your life. See, it's the same amount of effort. Um, it's actually a little bit more joyous when you're doing it the other way. So just pretend like I pissed you off. Use that energy to go into to, to Apple Podcasts. Um, your dog has a silly face. There, I said it. Mm. Now go into Apple Podcast. You there? Okay. Now, I love your dog so much. Now just use that energy. Use that energy. And um, leave the reviews. Leave the reviews. <laughs> I've enjoyed um, talking. I've enjoyed listening to old Justin Gray. Not old, but the man, Justin Gray. And I hope you have done the same thing. So, as always, I urge you all to stay safe out there. Read responsibly. Cheers, fuckers. Hi, you're listening to Cheers to Comics podcast. This is Mark Russell, and you're listening to the Cheers to Comics podcast. Hey everyone, I'm Monty Michael Moore, and this is the Cheers to Comics podcast with Brian Wayne. This is Drew Zucker. You're listening to the Cheers to Comics podcast.